We've all been hurt. We all carry scars. We can all overcome these things and be healed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's build that relationship together right here. Welcome to Healing Scars with Pastor Burton. Hey everybody, welcome back to the sanctuary. It's so good to have you with us. And for those of you who are new, welcome. Now, you know, last week we were looking at Nahum chapter 1 and we learned about the need to leave vengeance to God and how our own selfishness just, it gets in the way. And this week we're going to continue to go through the book of Nahum and we're going to see the judgment of Nineveh as God shows he's in charge and he's not going to tolerate being mocked, nor will he tolerate the abuse of his people. Uh, now, there's quite a bit here. We're going to go through part of this kind of quick, but we're, we're going to get there. and we're, It's going to get broken down. Trust me, um, this is all leading up somewhere. All right. Um, now, as I start, uh, I want to point something out because depending on how you read your Bible, um, you know, when you're doing research, when you're doing studies, uh, you'll find that the numbering can be varied right here, depending on the, t- the translation that you have and the type of text in front of you. You see, in, in Hebrew text, where we left off at the end of Nahum 1, verse 15, well, in the e- Hebrew text, that's actually numbered as chapter 2, verse 1, and then continues through numbering um chapter 2, verses 2 through 14, whereas other translations um, actually, you know, go from Nahum 1, verse 15 into uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. So it's just something to make note of um, when you're out there. If you see something that seems a little off on the numbering, this is why, okay? Now, for those of you who are following your Bible, and those of you who are taking notes, we're going to continue from where we left off um, last time, and we're actually going to pick up in Nahum chapter 2, and then of course after that we're going to continue through through uh, chapter 3. And what we're going to be learning in these, these two chapters here is that they're predicting Nineveh's downfall, which happened in 612 BC. And, and if you recall, Nineveh was seen as just being absolutely impenetrable. It was strategically built up. They had an incredible army. You know, they had they had their placement. Um, you know, they, they're really the, the 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 creme de la creme, the, the cream of the crop. They, they, they were they were the epitome of what an army and a fortification needed to be at that time. Yet they they didn't stand a chance once the Medes, the Babylonians, joined forces because. They just ran right through them. They ran roughshod. They they owned them. They dominated them. They absolutely obliterated them. You know, because when God sends and he sends on a mission, his will is going to be carried out. The good, the bad, the ugly, depending on how you're looking at it, which end uh, you're on. If you're on God's side, you're going to be in the good. Now, um, join me now. Nahum chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. The Bible says... An attacker advances against you, Nineveh. Guard the fortress. Watch the road. Brace yourselves. Marshal all your strength. The Lord will restore the splendor of Jacob like the splendor of Israel. Though destroyers have laid them waste and have ruined their vines, the shields of the soldiers are red. The warriors are clad in scarlet. 
The metal on the chariots flashes on the day they are made ready. The spears of juniper are brandished. The chariots storm through the streets, rushing back and forth through the squares. They look like flaming torches. They dart about like lightning. So, pretty... It's very poetic here. It is very cinematic in the description that it's given. And really, that's what we're going to see as we continue going through these these chapters. It's very cinematic, very poetic, very beautifully written. Um, but even with that, I mean, just thinking of this image, is that, that's a lot. It'll either wow you or strike horror into you. You know, uh, and if we're, when we're looking at it here in verse two, it's actually referring to the fact that Assyria had dominated, like just absolutely dominated the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, not only that, but after doing so, it actually deported the people who lived there. And, and, and we can learn more about that in Second Kings chapter 17 and 18. Uh, we'll save that for another time. Uh, of course, you could always reference that, um, you know, in your own studies. Um, and, and what happened is after that, Assyria, they doubled down. And since they've already taken north, now they tur- they turned their sights and they took over the southern kingdom of Judah. Um, and Judah was also called Jacob. The people of Judah, however, they were they found themselves in a much different situation. And they were forced to, to pay tribute. Um, you know, and, and tributes tributes were a way of publicly praising someone or something and showing uh, loyalty. You know, even if that loyalty was forced on people, it didn't matter as long as you paid your tribute. You know, uh, and you know they they were taxed. You know, they're they're for and they're forced into servitude. And, and for the history buffs, it's worth recognizing there weren't always two kingdoms in this region. As a matter of fact, if you're, when you're reading the Bible, you're like, wait, when when did this happen? Um, See, this all happened after the reign of Solomon, and it was actually a result of the of a dispute. Basically, uh, there was a dispute with Solomon's son, and because of it, ten of the twelve tribes they broke off and they formed the northern kingdom. They went to the north. They formed their own kingdom. The remaining two tribes, which were Judah and Benjamin, they stayed loyal to the lineage of David. You know that that whole line that came from David, and they formed. The southern kingdom, <coughs> um, you know, and, and so that's where those two those two kingdoms came from. It was basically one that divided. Uh, in verse three, if you look to Ezekiel chapter twenty three, verses uh, fourteen and fifteen, you'll see that this was the same description um, given to the Babylonians there as well. Uh, the Bible says this: she saw men portrayed on a wall. Figures of Chaldeans portrayed in red with belts around their waist and flowing turbans on their heads. All of them looked like Babylonian chariot officers, natives of Chaldea. Now, Chaldea, that's another name for Babylonia. So we're already actually seeing one of the armies that the Lord is sending in. All right. Um, picking back up here in chapter two, Nahum chapter two, we're going to go through verses uh, five through ten. Um, the Bible says this: Nineveh summons her picked troops, yet they stumble on their way. They dash to the city wall. The protective shield is put in place. The river gates are thrown open, and the palace collapses. It is decreed 
that Nineveh be exiled and carried away, her female slaves moan like doves and beat on their breast. Nineveh is like a pool whose water is draining away. Stop! Stop! They cry. But no one turns back. Plunder the silver, plunder the gold. The supply is endless. The wealth from all its treasures. She is pillaged, plundered, stripped. Hearts melt, knees give way, bodies tremble. Every face grows pale. Wow. So we're starting out here just in verse 5. It's a very clear picture, isn't it? And it's just, the place is going to be leveled and everybody there is just, they're going to be in shock, you know? They're going to be scared, like, oh no, what's going on? What's What, what do we do? And it's not going to matter because there's nothing they can do, you know? Um, the, the Bible says here, yet they stumble. And if you go back to Jeremiah uh, chapter 46, verse 12, the Bible says, the nations will hear of your shame. Your cries will fill the earth. One warrior will stumble over another. Both will fall down together. This is another reference to what the Babylonian army, you know, was named for, or was, no, was known for. No, I'm sorry, not named for, but known for. You know, they they were some they were some bad dudes, some absolutely just t- tough hombres. Their reputation preceded them. You know, so I mean, people knew that they were some tough dudes. So just just hearing that they were coming, let alone seeing that they were there, and that that was enough to inspire. You know, just put some terror into you. And, and and so it was already turning into a matter of who was bigger and who was badder. And I'll remind you, it doesn't matter how good you think you are. It doesn't matter how big and bad you are. There's always going to be someone bigger and badder there's always going to see one there's always going to be someone who 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 can better you uh proverbs chapter 16 verse 18 i'll just summarize pride goes before the fall you know think think about it this way the assyrians were bullies they were bullies they just went around doing what what they pleased you know that they were that jerk that just shoves someone and says what what you know like, like they're you know daring the the victim to do something only at this point the narrative's changed and they just don't realize it yet you know jonah had already gone through and warned them and and, you know the Assyrians they cooled their heels for a bit they chilled they relaxed like okay hold on they turned to god sorry sorry they repented but now jonah's gone and they've forgotten so they're puffing up their chest after being told, hey, ah, 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 don't do it. You don't do it. You better don't. You're not going to like what happens. You better simmer down there. And basically, what they're saying is, oh, yeah? What are you going to do? You want what army? Huh? Punk? You know, we're seeing parts of that army stand up. They're just blind to it. Now, the river gates could be one of two things. You know, first, it could be a reference to the actual invasion of Nineveh. The second thing it could be is an actual flood. See, when archaeologists they were doing their excavations, they found dam gates uh, upriver. 
And, and of course, you know, dam gates, they were kept closed until water was built up, at which time they'd, they'd control it. But, you know, was, they'd open those gates up to let water flow out. But it was very controlled. That's how dams work. So the thought is, is that a large amount of water was built up. And then um, with, with the invading forces and all, they came across it and they just opened the g- gates completely, which in turn caused Nineveh to flood, which is really a rather interesting an effective tactic. All right. Um, so let, let's keep on going here. Um, let's look at the rest of chapter 2 before we go into chapter 3 here. So uh, Nahum chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. The Bible says, Where now is the lion's den? The place where they fed their young, where the lion and the lioness went, and the cubs with nothing to fear? The lion killed enough for his cubs and strangled the prey for his mate, filling his lairs with the kill and his dens with the prey. I am against you, declares the Lord Almighty. I will burn up your chariots and smoke, and the sword will devour your young lions. I will leave you no prey on earth. The voices of your messengers will no longer be heard. Wow. Doesn't the doesn't the end of chapter two read like a mob boss putting out a, a hit order? I want the king dead, I want his wife dead, I want the whole family dead. I want the family dog dead. For good measure, I want the whole city dead. It's like they never existed. You know, God wasn't just angry. He was raging. You know, beast mode? No 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 no. Beast mode is nothing. God mode has been fully activated, and oh boy, are they in trouble. You know, they're saying right here, they, they're not even going to have anyone to turn to. No one to turn to even. They're, they're going to be on their own, done, isolated. They're on an island. You see, the Assyrians, they made their fortune from going through and ransacking other nations and, and taking tribute from them. You know, remember what I said earlier about forced loyalty? <coughs> it was basically, you know, um, that that forced, you know, protection out there. It's like you're going to pay up and we're going to take care of you, you know, or else, you know. Um, so basically people, you know, they, they paid up or else. And, and they were very lavish. You know, the Assyrian standard of living was nothing less than luxurious. Even if they meant, that meant, you know, that they were directly responsible for innocent people uh, that they ruled over starving to death. You know, not only that, but they'd actually go, you know, it wasn't even just a matter of taking, you know, their, their treasures, their their food and all that, but, you know, they they were a plague. They were like locusts. They, they would actually exploit all the natural resources of the lands that they had conquered to build up more wealth, which meant not only did people starve, but they had no way to fulfill their basic needs. You know, so when it came to the Assyrians, if it didn't make them rich, if it didn't build their army, you know, and, and provide for their standard of living, then anything or anyone else meant nothing to them. Nothing. And, and as we learned in the book of Obadiah, God will protect his people. The oppressing uh, of the innocent to live in sinful luxury, you know, that's just, 
It's stupid. It's a guaranteed way to upset the Lord. And, you know, that's exactly what happened. You know, God had already warned them that they needed to change their ways, that they needed to repent and change their ways when he sent no, uh, when he sent Jonah. You know, there's a, there's a point of no return. There's a line drawn in the sand. And Nineveh had crossed it. See, and, and that's why it's so important that not only we repent as Christians, but that we warn others as well. You know, part of our battle against evil, one of our biggest campaigns is to reach the hearts and the minds of others so that they can repent and turn to Jesus before it's too late. One lost soul is one too many. And if we do nothing to point them to Jesus, then that blood is on our hands. Our inaction can leave people to an eternity in hell. Do you really want to risk that? Or would you rather be able to say, I did what I could. They made their choice, but I did what I could. All right, continuing on here, let's uh, let's go now into uh, Nahum uh, chapter 3. Okay, so um, Nahum chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, the Bible says, Woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims, the crack of whips, the clatter of wheels, galloping horses and jolting chariots, charging cavalry, flashing swords and glittering spears, many casualties, piles of dead, bodies without number. People stumbling over the corpses, all because of the wanton lust of a prostitute, alluring the mistress of sorceries who enslaved nations by her prostitution and peoples by her witchcraft. Sounds an awful lot like cities uh, of today, doesn't it? You know, some, some actually take pride in being called Sin City. You know, or, you know, the, the party towns, even universities, you know, there's there is actually a list out there of the top party schools, you know, the places where people are supposed to be bettering themselves and, and preparing, you know, for their future. And, you know, no, it's, you know, they're all about the party. You know, sin, sin is a fire and, and you know, fire spreads really easily. It, it only takes a small spark and that's all that's needed to start a forest fire. A small lie, a white lie, a little fib. That's all that's needed to get you caught up in sin. Every drunk started with just one drink. Every addict started with just one high. Every cheater started with just one hookup. Every gambler started with just one bet and so on and so forth. Because it starts as one. And then there's another, and then there's another, and it builds until your entire life is consumed by sin. See, Nineveh had built up its power, and it was all about that luxury, that luxurious lifestyle. They had they had an image. They were the thing to look up to. They, they, you know, they were that. You know, to say that they were prestigious is putting it mildly. You know, they they were infamous. You know. Uh, they, they were that that crown jewel that everyone looked up to. You know that that hot girl. You know, it's like it's hot and she knows it. 
And like a prostitute, they lured in other nations with their beauty and their charm. You know, they they just absolutely wowed them. And the you know the Assyrians, what they do is they 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 get these others to come in, get them all warm and cuddly, get that nice fuzzy feeling. You know, they made them feel important. They made them feel important. And as soon as they let their guard down, boom, their worlds were turned upside down. They were beaten and robbed before they even had a chance to defend themselves. While Nineveh was a beauty to behold on the outside, it was utterly rotten and ugly on the inside. See, here's the thing. It wasn't just the leadership. It was the people. The nation as a whole. If we go back to Micah chapter 3, verses 9 through 12, the Bible says this. Hear this, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, who despise justice and distort all that is right, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness. Her leaders judge for a bribe. Her priests teach for a price. And her prophets tell fortunes for money. Yet they look for the Lord's support and say, Is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion, will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble. The temple hill a mound overgrown with thickets. Now, even in our country, we've come to the point where we look at our nation's leadership for everything. We expect them to do everything for us. And it's not just us. We see this around the world. You know, but the, the, here's the problem. We don't even bother to recognize the fact that they are a reflection of our country as a whole. Yet we keep reelecting the same fools. We allow for ungodly laws and cheer them on as a nation. Zion. Another name for Jerusalem was going to be destroyed by, by the Babylonians, which could be seen in 2 Kings chapter 25. And, and when it happens, the fingers were pointed at the leaders as if it was entirely 100% their fault. The fact is, it was just as much, if not more, of the people's fault because they allowed for the, the corruption to continue from the tippy top of leadership all the way down to the common man on the street without repentance, without turning to God, and without demanding justice. And obviously, we haven't learned anything from history because we still see it today. We see it right here at home. We see it around the world. Around the world. And that's why we all need to be on guard. You know, especially as Christians, there's a lot of things, a lot of businesses, a lot of people that look good. We're talking smoking hot. But they're looking to use you and me, all of us, to their own benefit, to their own gain, to make a buck, to build their portfolios, and then leave us all high and dry. Here, we, what we need to remember is we all have worth. We all have worth. You have worth. Jesus saw that. 
That's why he died for us. And because of that, we should never let anyone put us in a position that questions that. We should never lower our standards. We should never let our morals be compromised to meet anyone else in their middle ground. Jesus has placed us where we are to be the high bar for what the world should look to, not to lower ourselves to the world. Remember, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, Jesus said, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Don't let his light be stolen from you. Don't let others dim the light that is in you. Let's continue now. Nahum chapter 3 verses 5 through 7. The Bible says, I am against you, declares the Lord Almighty. I will lift your skirts over your face. I will show the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. I will pelt you with filth. I will treat you with contempt and make you a spectacle. All who see you will flee from you and say, Nineveh is ruins. Who will mourn for her? Where can I find anyone to comfort you? Wow. So they're going to be embarrassed. They're going to be embarrassed. Anyone who's left isn't going to be left for long, and and they're going to be just utterly humiliated. They're going to be taken off that high horse. See, God here, he's saying that the real Nineveh is going to be shown to the world. They're going to be seen for what and who they really are. That everything that the Assyrians had been doing to others was about to be returned. You know, in, in pro wrestling, and yes, I know it's scripted. However, in pro wrestling, there's a term called a receipt. And basically, when someone isn't pulling a punch properly and, and lands a full force hit or continually botches moves, which could lead to an injury or is leading to injury um, with you know, the person that they're in the ring with, basically that, that, that person that's been on the receiving end, they hit them back full force to let them know, hey, wake up. You need to check yourself. You know, it's basically a way of, of, of letting them know, hey, you're messing up without having to say anything. You know, it's kind of like that parent. It kind of gives you that look like, uh-uh-uh. You know, they don't have to say anything. You just know from that look. You know, and we're not talking about a swat here either. We're talking about a good, stiff, hard hit to get that other person's attention. Like, hey, wake up. And this was Nineveh's receipt with a full refund on the way. In Nahum chapter 3, eight, verses 8 through 11, the Bible says, Are you better than Thebes, situated on the Nile with water around her? The water was her defense, the waters her wall. Cush and Egypt were her boundless strength. Put and Libya were among her allies. Yet she was taken captive and went into exile. Her infants were dashed to pieces at every street corner. Lots were cast for her nobles, and all her great men were put in chains. You too will become drunk. You will go into hiding and seek refuge from the enemy. All right, now, so Cush is, that's what the the upper region of the Nile used to be called. And, And Thebes, Thebes is important to see here. You see, Thebes, they were a huge world power 
uh, approximately 51 years before this prophecy was given. And they stood up against Assyria when the Assyrians were moving into the south and, and starting to take over. And the, you know, they stood up and the Assyrians beat them. They'd beaten them. So to the people of Judah, the situation was very grim. It felt hopeless because they were totally surrounded. There was literally no direction that they could go in without walking right into the Assyrians. Uh, I'm sorry, yeah, without walking into the, the Assyrians. Suffice to say, you know, they were, they were in the eye of a hurricane. Obviously, they weren't Marines. When surrounded by enemy troops, Chesty Pullers attributed to saying, Great, now we can shoot them from every direction. You know, it's real obvious here, his outlook was different. Why was it different? Well, I'll tell you. He was not only confident in his own ability, but the ability of the Marines around him. And, and this is the most important part, that God was with him. See, that, that's the thing that changes mindsets. This is what Judah had forgotten. What we all need to remember is that there is nothing, absolutely nothing on this earth that can hide us from God or his judgment. There is nothing and no one that can stand in his place. Thebes and Assyria both mistrusted, or I'm sorry, misplaced their trust when they put it into alliances, when they put it into their military. They, they learned the hard way that God doesn't take a back seat. He doesn't like to be mocked. And he absolutely will not tolerate anyone harming his children. See, God needs to be at the forefront of everything in our lives. Psalm 118, verse 8, the Bible puts it this way. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. See, it's not anyone's intention to fail. Nobody wants to fail. It's just a cold, hard fact that mankind will do it. You know, we all fail. We follow. We fail ourselves. We follow each other. You know, at some at some point. But Jesus never will. Never will. Let's get back to our reading here. Uh, we'll pick back up here. Nahum chapter three, verses twelve through thirteen. The Bible says, "All your fortresses are like a, are like fig trees, with their first ripe fruit. When they are shaken, the figs fall into the mouth of the eater. Look at your troops." They are all weaklings. The gates of your land are wide open to your enemies. The uh, fire has consumed the bars of your gates. They're ripe for the picking. Everyone's become complacent and overconfident in their abilities and their fortifications. You know, we've all heard that phrase, complacency kills. And it absolutely does. See, people, they they get disengaged from things that they shouldn't be. They stop paying attention to things that they should be. They take things for granted. They slacken their training. Mistakes are overlooked and shortcomes, I'm sorry, shortcuts become the norms. You know, people just assume that everything's great in the world at this point. But it's, you know, we we all know differently. It's It's not. You know, they're asleep at their post, they're dead, and they don't even know it. You know, they're, they're, they've gotten lazy. They're fat and lazy. 
Continuing on, verses 14 through 17, the Bible says, Draw water for the siege. Strengthen your defenses. Work the clay. Tread the mortar. Repair their brickwork. There the fire will consume you. The sword will cut you down. They will devour you like a swarm of locusts. Multiply like grasshoppers. Multiply like locusts. They have increased the number of your merchants till they are more numerous than the stars in the sky. But like locusts, they will strip the land and then fly away. Your guards are like locusts. Your officials like swarms of locusts that settle in the walls on a cold day. But when the sun appears, they fly away and no one knows where. The Assyrians were essentially a plague on the land. You know, however, they, you know, they'd, they'd become complacent for so long. Their ego was left unchecked for so long that things were already falling apart around them. You know, as we're seeing here, it's even talking about the fortifications falling apart, just in dire need of repair. They, they just, they didn't notice. See, they were, the thing is, they were blinded by the world. They had bought into Satan's temptation. And isn't that the same as what we see today? You know, everyone needs to have the latest and greatest, the biggest and baddest, to be glamorous and popular. Even politics, even politics have become trendy. You know, it's about numbers now. Even on social media, every everyone's about numbers now. We've all bought into that. You know, who has the most quote-unquote friends? Who has the most likes? Who has the most shares, etc., etc.? You know, oh, I need to get this much so that I can monetize my, my account. You know, I know a few people who are no longer on social media, and they're much happier for it. There's a very good reason for that. Let it sink in and, and just kind of think on that. All right, let's finish our reading here. Nahum chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. The Bible says... King of Assyria, your shepherds, meaning rulers, so king of Assyria, your shepherds, slumber. Your nobles lie down to rest. Your people are scattered on the mountains with no one to gather them. Nothing can heal you. Your wound is fatal. All who hear the news about you Clap their hands at your fall. For who has not felt your endless cruelty? When someone finally stands up to a bully and knocks them on their rear end, everyone cheers. It's not just in the movies. It's in everyday life. Fact is, it just doesn't happen as often as we'd like. Why is that? Well, Let's look at it with the example that's set here. You know, everyone hated being ruled over by the Assyrians. They hated the Assyrians being in control and being in power. However, at the same time, they wanted to be just like them. Powerful, wealthy, famous. So they sat back down and hoped that they'd all get a piece of it just by association. We aren't that different today. Actors, athletes, politicians, celebrities of all kinds, 
they're the ones that are allowed to set the pace for us. You know, you think about it, we don't nobody likes the fact that, you know, we're marginalized, we're looked down on, we put we're pushed away. You know, we don't like that certain laws are made, bent, or flat out ignored, you know, by by these people of wealth and power without any kind of real enforcement or any real punishment, but harshly forced upon us, the common man, you know, with punishments uh, uh, fines or jail times, you know, or other punishments that far outweigh, you know, the crime. Um, not always, but, you know, for the most part. Um, you know, we've all heard the ditty, you know, the boss makes a dollar while I make a dime. You know, we, we don't like that we're so underpaid while others are so grossly overpaid. Remember what I said earlier, though? People are always looking to make a buck. They're looking, you know, take advantage. See, when we look inward, we would all like to have that prestige for ourselves, wouldn't we? We all like the idea of being kings and queens. However, that power, it's an idol. See it for what it is. It is an idol. And it's a flame that quickly and easily consumes us. So we're better off not trying to grab a hold of it. You know, those who do grab for it, they're going to be consumed soon enough. And much like the Assyrians, they're going to be gone for good. What we need to do uh, as Christians is we need to relearn how to be happy with what we have, to be content with what the Lord has provided us so that we don't get caught up like the Assyrians, so that we don't get caught up in this, you know, the same flame of idolatry. In, in Philippians uh, chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, Paul wrote, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Contentment or happiness in life, it doesn't come from having a lot of stuff. It doesn't come from having a luxurious lifestyle or image. It doesn't come from having an easy life. You know, rather it comes from the trials that we have and the hope that comes with them. That hope of knowing that God is working in our lives to better us. The hope of knowing Jesus is within us, helping us to endure whatever comes our way. The hope of knowing that whatever calamity surrounds us, much like Judah, will not be able to consume us. We are protected. We are loved. Yes, the world is a whirlwind around us. However, Jesus is standing before each and every one of us, you and me, with his hand reached out. His hand is right there waiting for us to take it. We need to keep our eyes on him. You know, a final word here as we, as we wrap up. During the Battle of the Chosen Reservoir, Chesty Puller and his Marines were surrounded. And he was quoted as saying this, We've been looking for the enemy for some time now. We finally found him. 
We're surrounded. That simplifies things. The enemy can't escape. Romans 8, verses 31 through 33, the Bible says this. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give all things? Who will bring up uh, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. See, you can withstand the storm. You just need to keep your eyes on Jesus. If we keep our eyes on Jesus, we can stand our ground against the darkness. Because of Jesus, you can take the light into the world. It is because of Jesus in you, in me, in all of us. You are the light of the world. God will take care of us. He will take care of his children. We just need to be vigilant. God bless y'all. I want to thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions, prayer requests, or would like to know more about our ministry, you can find us on our website at bethelightsanctuary.org or on Facebook at Be The Light Sanctuary. We'll catch you next time. God bless.